so yeah, so obviously we've been on our multicultural journey, and so it is my pleasure this morning to, to introduce the final speaker. Um, I personally think she's one of the most wonderful women walking the planet at the moment. So, um, hey, no pressure. So, Katangi Rawakua St Albans Baptist here has been our family church for almost 30 years. It's awesome to see all six of my children in church this morning. And, and my dad and my husband. So thank you for your support, everybody. It means a lot to have you here. And my moko, is she here? Oh, there she is. My little moko, she's going to stole the show. Um... So it's a great pleasure this morning to follow on from our outstanding speakers that we've had over the last few weeks on the cultural journey. And um, thank you, John, for having the courage to take us on this walker as a church. I, I know that it's a, it, it can be a fraught, the discussions can be fraught, but it's been a real pleasure and um, for also for building a wonderful platform for me to speak from this morning. Whakapapa uh, is an important part of um, the Māori world view. Uh, it places us um, in history and it acknowledges, it's more, much more than our family tree, it acknowledges our tipuna, our ancestors that have gone before us and um, gives us our identity and our place in the world and in history. It's not ancestor worship, it's honouring and acknowledging who we are in the wider context as individuals. So I want to tell you three stories today, and some of what I share will be sad um, and may evoke an emotional response. And uh, so I want to preface my message with a scripture to, for you to hold in your mind and reflect on during my kōrero. And that scripture is um, found in Matthew 16, 18, and it's where Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says, Your name is Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Jesus is encouraging Peter that whatever happens, all of the challenges that lay ahead, whatever happens in history, that the Lord will build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It will stand up to opposition. So just hold that thought as we talk this morning. 
Um, so the story of Parihaka is my first story. Parihaka is this, so that's Taranaki, Mount Taranaki in the middle there. And uh, who knows? November the 5th, what's that famous for? Guy Fawkes Day. So Guy Fawkes happened in 1605, and um, Guy Fawkes was a person, him and his group, team of um, terrorists actually, they were religious terrorists, decided that they wanted to um, kill King James and restore a Catholic monarch to the throne. And the way they were going to do that is they were going to blow up Parliament as it was starting up, so the king would be there to set to, to um, I forget what they call it, start the parliament in England, but they were worried that they would blow up some Catholics, so they sent a message and said, look, don't, don't be there at such and such a time, it won't be safe, and that alerted the authorities, and parliament was searched, they found the gunpowder under the, and the viaducts under parliament, and Guy Fawkes was guarding it, so he was caught and hanged. So, the invasion of Parihaka happened on our own whenua, on our own land, over 250 years later. And yet most of us have never heard of it. During the 1850s, um, the European population in New Zealand came to exceed the Māori population. And that was because of the musket wars and because of the diseases that came to New Zealand. Huge numbers of Māori died of smallpox and measles and things like that because we'd had no immunity. Um, as newcomers flooded in, there was an increasing pressure to obtain more of the land still under Māori control. Um, the Treaty of Waitangi, and I'll read this bit out in Article 2, guaranteed to the chiefs and tribes of New Zealand and to the res their respective families and individuals thereof the full, exclusive and undisturbed possession of their lands and forests lands, estates, forests, fisheries and other properties which they may collectively or individually possess so long as it is their wish and desire to retain the same in their possession. So that, that had been signed and agreed in 1840. But that treaty was disregarded and all around Taranaki, Māori were driven from their land. Pa after pa was sacked by the settler government and the land was confiscated for settlers' use. Those who survived were left homeless and dispossessed. If they attempted to go back to their par or were found hiding in the forest, they were likely to be shot by the constabulary. And throughout the west coast of the, around the west coast of the North Island, small communities of Māori, often carrying food and belongings, trekked long distances to find sanctuary at a new par, which had been set up by Te Whiti o Rongomai and Tohu Kākahi. From a young age, Tafiti, we've got a picture of Tafiti, they didn't particularly like being, they didn't like being photographed or sketched, so most of the pictures of Tafiti have, um, one man apparently drew, uh, drew a picture on his shirt sleeve to, to capture the image because they, they didn't want to become the main thing. So this is Tafiti at um, Parihaka. The next picture, um, Glenn, Tafiti o Rongamai. Um, was a, he spent the first 10 years of his life living in the safety of his hapu um, with his family and had no Pākehā contact, living the traditional Māori way of life. Then when he was 10, at the age of 10, he went to the Lutheran Mission School and where he was educated and first heard and embraced the gospel. 
Tafiti was a charismatic leader who chose an out-of-the-way place in the middle of the bush and to establish a power where Fano could live in peace. He believed in an end to the slaughter without surrendering the land um, and preached a message of passive resistance. Tafiti believed that Māori and Pākehā could and would dwell together in unity and peace. Um, to to um, Tohu Kākahi, uh, even less images of Tohu, unfortunately, he was also a vision, visionary spiritual leader. And it is said the biblical prince of peace, Melchizedek, came to Tohu in a dream and validated his position as a leader at, um, at Parihaka. Tohu had also been educated in the Lutheran Mission School, where he had developed his own sound faith. Um, Tohu's descendants tell of how this movement was given divine sanction by the Holy Spirit in the form of a great white albatross that landed on the top of his marae early one morning. The people of the time saw this as a sign of the Holy Spirit, a bit like the dove and Jesus, and, they, um, and the, the white feather that it left behind became a sign of the passive resistance movement at Parihaka. In fact, I was up at the Murray Women's Welfare League conference recently, and there are a number of there were a number of women there who were wearing a white feather, and so that's still a very much a part of the Parihaka message today. Uh, so Tafiti and Tohu were related; they were Fanonga, and they were married to sisters, and they'd both been educated together, so they were close. They had a real strong unity, and they worked together to lead this um, what started out as a small community. Um, the two leaders held regular church meetings and, um, at Parihaka and they were attended by literally thousands of Māori who had come there. And the teaching was inspired by Old Testament promises to the children of Israel, a chosen people despite their bondage. And some of the quotes of that, some of the scriptures they used was, "In the, the days of thy mourning shall be ended, thy children shall inherit the land forever. A little one shall become a thousand, and a small one a strong nation. And one of um, Tafiti's really famous quotes, those who are bent by the wind shall rise again when the wind softens. So the community at Parihaka that planted extensive gardens, they were self-sufficient in what they grew and could sell from the land. They were very industrious, and there was no hierarchical structure. So everybody had a turn. Everybody had a turn in the gardens. Everybody had a turn in the kitchen. In um, the Wairia Plains, which had been confiscated for Ma by, from Māori, um, the government decided to start surveying it, and Tafiti and Tohu started a campaign of passive resistance. And the way they did this was that they would... Um, they used a, pl a ploughing campaign. So the, ca the campaign used methods by ploughing the land, replacing fences, and taking out survey pegs. So the surveyors would go in during the day and they would mark out the land, put in the survey pegs and remove the fences, and they'd come back the next morning and the survey pegs would be gone, the fences would be up and the land would be ploughed. <laughs> and they were like, when it first started happening, they just couldn't believe it. But it, you can imagine, it became a thing. Um, many of the ploughmen were arrested and held without trial in the South Island. But for the... But as the protests continued, the situation became untenable for the government. 
and uh, who decided it was necessary to get rid of Parihaka, um, which had become seen as one of the last bastions of Māori resistance. So there were around 2,000 people, another couple of pictures there, that's the, the township of Parihaka, about 2,000 people living in Parihaka on the 5th of November 1881 when the government sent in 1,600 troops to invade. The troops camped close by overnight the night before, so the community knew that they were coming. The women in Parihaka baked 500 loaves of bread to feed their manuhiri, their visitors that were coming. And the people of Parihaka gathered on the marae the night before and shared a meal together as they sat, wrapped in blankets. And Tafiti spoke to his people and asked them not to fight back when the invaders came, to offer no resistance. Wisely he knew that any hindrance would be met with violence. This is a quote from his speech. If any man thinks of his gun or his horse and goes back to fetch it, he will die by it. Place your trust in forbearance and peace. Let the booted feet come when they like. The land shall remain firm forever. I stand for peace. Though the lions rage, still I am for peace. I am here to be taken. And on the morning of the 5th of November, the soldiers were well armed with rifles over their shoulders, swords in their sheaths and pistols in their pouches. Each man had an extra 40 rounds of ammunition. Leading the way on his white horse is Native Affairs Minister John Bryce, a Scotsman hell-bent on breaking up Parihaka. Walking beside him is the man he replaced, William Rolleston, whose last ministerial act on October the 19th had been to sign the proclamation to attack Parihaka. When the first wave of troops came down, they were first met by, in a traditional Taranaki way with girls doing the poi, um, which had become a, another symbol of the Parihaka movement. And I witnessed an account from that day, armed constabulary captain William Messenger says, the troops were confronted by about 200 little boys who danced splendidly. The next line of defence was formed by 60 girls with skipping ropes. There was a line, this is a quote from the, um, from the captain, there was a line of children across the entrance to the big village, a kind of singing class directed by an old man with a stick. The children sat there unmoving and even as a mounted officer galloped up and pulled his horse up so short that the dirt from its forefeet splattered the children, they still went on chanting perfectly oblivious apparently to the Pākehā, and the old man continued his monotonous drone, messenger says. The children were sent, and then, the, then children were sent out with loaves of bread and offered food to the soldiers. However, the inevitable happened, and Tafiti and Tohu, along with a number of other chiefs and leaders, had their hands tied behind their back and were loaded into carts and sent off to prison in New Plymouth and eventually to the South Island. It took two weeks to destroy the gardens and two months to pull, out, pull down all of the houses. In the end, Parihaka was ransacked. The houses were burnt down, the gardens destroyed, groups of iwi from all around Aotearoa were dispersed and hundreds of people were arrested and sent without trials to um, 
Wellington and, Wellington and the South Island, especially to Dunedin. And so began five years of military occupation at Parihaka, manned by five officers and 70, 70 soldiers. The government of the day had passed special legislation to enable the detention of Māori without trial, especially Te Whiti and Tohu. And so um, here are some of the memorials. As the story has become well known, at the very beginning, um, well, over the, over the earlier years of New Zealand history, um, Parihaka was not included in, in um, atlases or on maps, so that it was basically... Tr they tried to make it not happen. They tried to make Parihaka disappear. So thanks, Trish, for these photos. She's, Trish, is, Trish and Rob have been around some of these places. So this is the memorial at, at, um, at Hokitika. So I'll, re I'll read that to you because you probably won't be able to read it. Here stands a memorial stone to Te Whiti Mai and Tohu Kākahi in memory of the imprisonment with hard labour under harsh conditions of the members of Taranaki, Tainui, Te Wainui Arua, Te Taitokorau, Ngāti Kahungungu, all most in unknown graves, facing to the east to welcome the sun as Te Whiti Urungamai, um, the white feather of the albatross, Te Raukura as a sign of peace, facing to the west to farewell the sun as Tohu Kākahi, the fresh green leaves of the forest, Te Kori, the sign of sadness and love. Te Whiti and Tohu had spiritually known that the colonials determined to exterminate Taranaki, so they spiritually chose passive resistance. And then, oh, that's, the, that's, um, that's Te Whiti, and the, around the other side is Tohu. And it's another one in Wellington. And Whanganui. Oh, that's the Wellington one. And there's the, that's Wellington as well. And Te Wainui Arua. Um, and that one there says, From the mountains down to the sea, the children of the river were unceremoniously removed under the cover of a devious crown. To you, the children of Te Iharaira, it's Israel, to you, the children of Israel, your pain will not be forgotten. So, the assault on Parihaka was an assault on Māori and their whānau and hapu and iwi concern and on their homes and community, but it was also an assault on the gospel of peace. What happened at Parihaka interrupted the whakapapa of Jesus in Aotearoa. And injustice has a legacy. The, and the church of today is bearing out the legacy of the injustices which happened at Parihaka. And I'm sad to say that there are other examples and other stories from around the land of injustices which um, have happened and broken the relationship between Māori and the church. Te Whiti and Tohu were men of God working out his calling on their lives, bringing the gospel of peace to their people. And uh, the word of... But, but the, the, but the hopeful thing is, and, and you know, it's a, it's a terrible, tragic story, but in Isaiah 55.10, the word says, As the rain and the snow come down, and do not return to it without watering it and making its buds flourish, so, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth that will not return to me empty, 
but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And remember the scripture at the start, the Lord said, I will build my church in Aotearoa, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the story hasn't reached its conclusion yet. And the land lies fallow and full of seed, awaiting the rains of a new season. So I'll just have a wee drink. The next story I want to talk to you about is the story of Takapuneke. It's the most beautiful bay in Banks Peninsula. And uh, leading Naitahu chief to Mai Haranui had, um, had established the production of dressed flax to trade for iron and steel tools and muskets and ammunition. And the flax was used to make ropes for ships and, and um and, uh, and other things, that rope had been in short supply. So flax was a big thing for Māori. We, um, we traded a lot. Late in November 1830, the 12-man brig Elizabeth anchored off Takapuneke. And I'm sorry, this isn't a particularly good picture. They didn't have digital back then. And I don't think that was e that's actually even in Akaroa Harbour. But um, flying the, anchored in the, uh, outside Takapuneke, flying the British flag. And the captain, John Stewart, invited to Maharanui aboard to discuss trade. Um, once there, um, they took um, to Maharanui below decks. There, Stewart had concealed a war party of Ngāti Toa from Kapiti, led by the infamous Taropraha, who was seeking revenge for the killing of some of his chiefs at Kaiapoya earlier that year. Once below decks, Maiharanui was seized by the ship's um, officers, by the brig's officers, and confined along with his young daughter and wife, and, um, and confined below decks, and others who had followed him on board. The people on shore suspected nothing because they thought he was being um, entertained by the captain. At night, the Ngāti Toa warriors um, quietly landed in Stuart's boats and set fire to Takapuneke and killed and seized people as they ran from the flames. On the brig, the, the young daughter was killed by her parents to save her from the awful things that would happen at the hands of their enemy. The next day, the warriors returned to their ship, to the ship with their captives, with, um, with, with their captives and uh, Stuart sailed back to Kapiti and in return for a shipload of flax handed over to Maiharanui and his wife to be tortured to death. After the destruction of the site of Takapaniki, the site of Takapaniki had remained a deeply tapu site for Naitahu. The survivors moved around the bay to the south to Onuku Marae, and some of you may have been to Onuku, it's a, just a beautiful spot. Takapaniki was left undisturbed as a sacred place until the, 18, uh, till the 1960s when the Akaroa County Council decided to put a sewage treatment plant there. In the 1970s, the council wanted to extend the sewage treatment plant and establish a rubbish dump. The Onuku Runanga opposed these developments and with, with one member describing it as the ultimate in modern day cultural oppression. 
to local Māori, Takapiniki was as an urupa, a, a cemetery where, the where, where their ancestors fell. And there, you know, there are a lot of layers to these stories that I could bring out and, and there'll be opportunities another day. But the main message I wanted to bring out from this one is that we need to understand each other's stories. To stop and listen to what the other one says. Offensive and hurtful decisions can be avoided by greater understanding of each other's stories. So I'm going to invite my friend Trish now to come. And I think, is Sandra going to come too? I'm not sure. Um, and sing a song, Whakarongo. Whakarongo means to listen. Then I'll be back.
Thank you, Trish and Sandra. Very talented. So the third story um, I want to talk to you about today is my story. Now, this is a, par- a, a picture of my parents' wedding. Um, that that um, minister that's at St John's Church is not there anymore on Latimer Square. And that minister is actually saying to my mum and dad, your first son will be a minister. And that is Brett, my brother Brett, so some of you know him. He's been in Christian ministry his whole life. So um, that, that is cool, you know, having a prophecy at your wedding that um, your son will be a minister. So um, my dad is Māori, and um, it's lovely to have you here today, Dad. And my mum was Australian. My mum was um, excommunicated from her family for marrying Dad. And even now, there's only one, so it's like, how long, 58 years later, only one of her three siblings that will have anything to do with us. Um, I I wouldn't recognise my uncle and auntie if I passed them in the street. Even um, my dad started school in the 1940s, and after the Native Schools Act was passed into law, and the Act forbade Māori children from speaking to Reo Māori at school, among other things. Um, for some children, Māori was the only language they'd ever known. They'd never had to speak English. They'd brought up in Māori homes. So imagine going to school when you're five <coughs> and you're not allowed to talk your Reo. You have to try and learn in English. Um, and the children were belted at school if they were heard to be speaking to Reo. In fact, I was sitting next to a kōiwa at the, she was from Taranaki actually, at the Māori Women's Welfare League conference um, last week, the week before, and she told me that in her classroom there was an ebony rod. The ebony was like a black timber, and they, it was used, it was supposed to be used for, uh, as a pointer on the blackboard, but it was used to belt the Māori children across their backs, or around their legs, or across their hands, if they were heard to be speaking te reo. And Māori parents were told that the language was dead and that it had no future and that their children would not get jobs unless they could speak English. So they should stop their own culture and assimilate into Pākehā culture. And um, this is a quote from um, uh, Joshua Fisherman, who's a fantastic... He's passed away now, but a fantastic professor who wrote a book called What Do You Lose When You Lose Your Language? Stabilising Indigenous Languages. You take away its greetings, its curses, its praises, its laws, its literature, its songs, its riddles, its proverbs, its cures, its wisdom, and its prayers. When you are talking about language, most of what you're talking about is culture. That is, you are losing all those things that essentially are the way of life, the way of thought, the way of valuing, and the human reality, it is human reality that you're talking about. So the philosophy of assimilation has led to a huge loss of cultural identity for Māori. And um, Dad, you know, he, no criticism of my parents because they, they believed what the government had told them that um, there was no future in the language and you wouldn't get a job if you could speak Māori. So Dad was never really um, enthusiastic about us doing anything, even kapahaka. But I had a fantastic form teacher in Form 1, 
Monty O'Hare. He also taught me for maths and Māori, and he's the only teacher that ever gave me a certificate, so I'll always love him for that. <laughs> Form 1, I got a certificate for ever, effort. <laughs> I got to go up on the stage. Um, anyway, Monty was a fantastic um, advocate for Māori. He, he did amazing work nationwide in education and in Christian ministry, um, but sadly died way too soon. Um, so when I came to faith in 1983, the church of the day, the church of the day was really in a space where um, anything that wasn't from the dominant culture was evil. Oh, I forgot to bring my Wakaria box. Uh, I forgot my prop. <laughs> um, Anyway, my dad carved me this beautiful wakahoia box when I was 16, and um, I hid that away from sight because it was like it was a carving, and you, you couldn't have carvings. And I was, wouldn't have worn my manaya to church in those days. Um, so the thinking was, burn your carvings, our idols. And um, I was told that you're part of the kingdom culture now. And so, but what is that? You know, what is the kingdom culture? Does that mean I'm not Māori anymore? And, uh, but, and I loved the Lord so much and was so grateful for all that was the restoration that was going on in my life. So I would have done it if I thought that that's what, really what the Lord was calling me to. But somehow I had a sense it wasn't. And so, um, and the Lord has preserved, has preserved me and preserved my culture through that. And I'm very grateful. Um, this is what I think. I think that the Lord, so for God so loved the world, loved openly and unconditionally, unconditionally and sac sacrificially the whole world, every tribe and nation, every culture and language, every colour and race, just as we are. God loves the whole world so much that he gave sacrificially and completely gifted his own flesh and blood, his own son, to be atonement for us, to be utu, to bring our lives into order with God's, and to pay the price for our madness and our badness and our sadness, and we all have madness, badness and sadness, and um, that all we need to do is to believe and that um, whoever believes in him, that when we come to the end of our days, and we stand before Eo, the great creator God, that our relationship with him is in order. And that um, the fingerprints of God, our creator, are on every culture. And that's not all the same. And the more we learn about other cultures, the more we see God and the more we understand the complexities and the wonder of diversity. Diversity was God's idea. And he reads about the Tower of Babel. You know, we were all the same at the start. But the diversity and language and culture, and culture was God's idea. He did it. And then as Christians, that we, that the Lord calls us to love unconditionally, especially those from different traditions, and as um, John has reinforced to us through his messages, that growing in understanding is what will make the, make the big difference. In the words of John F. Kennedy, no, Robert Kennedy, sorry, Robert Kennedy, 
Few of us have the greatness to bend history itself, but each of us can work to change a small portion of events, and it is in the total of all of those acts that the history of this generation will be written. And so what are the small acts? As I just come to a close, I've got some ideas of things that we can go on with um, just in our everyday lives as New Zealanders. What are those small acts for us today? So the first one I thought we could all do is read and understand the treaty. It's not a, it's not a long document. It's only got four articles, three main articles, and the fourth one actually is really interesting. You, you would find that interesting. So read and understand the treaty. And when we understand the treaty, the news media has a different ring to it. Um, the things, the reports. Um, secondly, learn some basic greetings and words. Um, this, we've got a picture up here. This man here. He works in Botswana. John and I have just been to Africa recently. And um, when you leave, we, we went from Zimbabwe into Botswana. So you leave Zimbabwe and you go into the little tin shed and you, you emigrate out. And then there's a toilet in the middle. The ladies hasn't got a, a handle on the inside of the door. So John had to come and rescue me. <laughs> and then I was really glad he was there because I, I couldn't get out. And then you go into the, Botswana, into the um, immigration into Botswana. And this man here looked at my passport and he looked up at me and he said, Kia ora. And honestly, I cried. I was, I was like, most New Zealanders can't say that. And, um, and so I, got, I was so excited, I, had, I got John to get a photo of him. <laughs> <laughs> he thought it was a bit of overkill, I think, but anyway. But I thought, if he can do it, we can do it. You know, kia ora is, kia is be, and ora is well. So, um, kia kaha, be strong, kia ora, be well. Isn't that a lovely thing to say to somebody, rather than hi? Kia ora, be well. If you're in Africa, you'd say, I see you. That's what they, their greeting means. Um, so, everybody turn to your neighbour and say, kia ora. Good, you've, you've done it once now, you can do it again. Um, Kate Pai is another one, another really typically Māori um, saying. It has really no, no equivalent in English. Kate Pai is the most gracious thing. If you have to apologise to somebody, they say Kate Pai. It's like oh, all of all of the angst goes out of it. Um, it's like it's all good. Um, ata Māori, ata is morning, Māori is peaceful. So ata Māori is peaceful morning. So some people say morena, which is a transliteration of good morning, um, and that's okay, but ata maria, everybody can say that. Um, so there are a lot of, um, koha is another one. Koha is no English equivalent of koha, but it's a gift to cover costs. So it's a gift with a um, kind of a little bit of responsibility and a lot of love. Um, so learn some basic greetings in a few words. I'm not suggesting you'll have to go out and do tarot lessons, um, but it would be fantastic if you did, but be warned it's not for the faint-hearted. I've been doing it for years. Um, number three, keep on trying with pronunciation. Uh, I know it's difficult. I've been doing takapuneke all week. Well done, Toria, this morning. You did really well. Because um, I thought it was takapuneke. 
until um, somebody said to me, actually, you better pronounce that right when you're talking about it. So, um, and I know, I know it's difficult, but if you, the more you say it, the correct way, the easier it becomes. So just a thing, WH in Māori is f, like PH in English is f. So we wouldn't say telephone, we'd say telephone. Would sound funny if everybody said telephone. Well, whangarei, whakatane, whare, whānau, all starts with a f. So just remember those WHs. Um, especially place names. It's, it's really good to practice with place names. Um, number four, ask the next question when you see negative news reports about Māori. Um, because the media love to beat us up, just like they love to beat Christians up. And um, often, you know, if you, they, the media won't always give us an unbiased or a balanced opinion or tell both sides of the story. In fact, most of the time they don't even understand both sides of the story. So um, think about it before taking it on board. And just find the final one is when you go on holiday around Aotearoa, find out about the area you're in. It's a wonderful way of learning. And what, what's its Māori name? Who lived there? What happened there? Finding out a about a place when you're standing on the whenua and is a powerful thing. And it makes holidays so much more interesting. Doesn't it, dear? Nora <laughs> um, there is much I could share. And um, I hope I haven't left you all feeling devastated and depressed. But, you know, the, the facts are the facts. The stories are the stories. There is hope. And there is a future. And God is doing, God is doing things in our land. So um, I'm going to finish with a quote from Winston Churchill. Um, he said, this is not the end, and this is not the beginning of the end, but it might be the end of the beginning. Kia ora. <laughs>